0: This is the APEX United Methodist Church podcast. So good morning. Uh, My name is Eric Ross. I'm a member here at um, APEX. And uh, today we are going to be celebrating um, the Methodist Home for Children. Um, The Methodist Home for Children is a mission of uh, the North Carolina Conference that was founded back in 1899. Uh, And I think it's really appropriate today that we're featuring the Methodist Home for Children uh, because it ties perfectly into the parable that we're going to talk about today about uh, the, the wedding feast. And at the Methodist Home for Children, we believe that all children are invited to God's table and that no child should ever suffer. So if you think about it, none of us gets to choose the circumstances that we're born into. Some people are blessed and born into fantastic circumstances, unconditional love in their homes, but other children are born into more dire circumstances. And that's where the Methodist Owned for Children comes in to transform their situations and their lives and to show them unconditional love. Today we are really lucky to have the leader of this mission, the Reverend Bruce Stanley, who is our president and CEO at the Methodist Home for Children as our guest speaker. Um, Bruce has been our president since 2006. Uh, He's a West Virginia native, and prior to joining Methodist Home for Children, he served as pastor at six uh, churches across the North Carolina Conference. So please join me in welcoming Bruce to APEX. Thank you. Boys and girls, we're so pleased to have somebody that loves and cares about children, uh, like Pastor Bruce, who's going to speak to us um, while you all are in children's time this morning. But I want you to remember this week, wherever you go, that Jesus loves you, okay? Let's pray together. And if you'll repeat after me. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus. thank you for your love. Thank you. And thank you that we are your children. Amen. 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 Okay. You can now go to children's time or go back to your seats as you you need to.
1: Good morning. I want to thank you all for the uh, pleasure of being here, and Eric is right about this being a fitting day because Tim, uh, in thanks to God for the miracle of Virginia last night, has agreed to personally match every dollar you contribute today. Uh, uh, you know, and and, and 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 what a fine thing to Tim for Tim to offer, and I just he I just wish he was here so I could thank him personally. Also, want to thank uh, a couple of Methodist Home for Children's heroes. Uh, Jim uh, and Sally Williford are seated here, and Jim was our CFO for many years, and Sally has worked uh, for us in a variety of ways through the years, though we weren't the principal place uh, in, in which she applied her talent and skills as a nurse. She has uh, intersected with us many times, and we thank you both uh, for, for that. And also, Katherine Hutchins, who's our Director of Early Childhood Services. And Catherine is an absolutely outstanding and awesome uh, visionary leader, and she also happens to be an excellent supervisor uh, because one of my children, Allie Hethcote, is a teacher for her. And and I I can't tell you how much it warms my heart to know uh, each and every day that my daughter's professional and spiritual life is so well attended to. Uh, Methodist Home for Children serves, uh, in this year we're going to serve about 1,500 children, youth, and their families. Uh, We work uh, all across the state and will actually serve someone from every county, though we are much more heavily concentrated here in the east within the bounds of the North Carolina Conference. Uh, We have 12 residential facilities. Uh, We are soon to have two uh, early childhood programs. We do foster care, therapeutic foster care. We do adoptions. Uh, We celebrated three adoptions at the Pitt County Courthouse a week ago on Friday. We also do work in-home with family preservation, family reunification. Uh, to do all of this wonderful work, we need some things from you by way of partnership since this is our Methodist Home for Children. First thing we need is that we need for you to pray for us. Uh, the needs of these young people when they come into our care at intake uh, are often daunting. The demands that are placed upon the families who open their homes, upon the clinical staff and those who are there uh, doing direct care in the group facilities, uh, those demands are profound, and without the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't be sustained So please don't neglect to pray for us. We also need for you to be a witness. Most of what we do is done behind closed doors. It's out of a sense of propriety and of course also observance of HIPAA regulations. For want of a better term, these children are not ours, though we think of them as such, but they're in the care of the court system, mental health, or DSS, and so we aren't able easily to disclose identities and to narrate the ways in which their lives and their stories connect with you and, and with the stories in scripture. So I'm gonna challenge you to visit our website and learn more about that. And I'm gonna challenge you to speak up and be an advocate and a voice. If you wanna know something specific you can do right now. Last time I looked, the legislature was meeting uh, on Jones Street in Raleigh. Foster care rates have not increased for 12 years, nor have the rates for the uh, NC pre-K program. And we need to have rate adjustments for both of those. We got something from our member association benchmarks, and it's us and the Children's Home Society and Baptist Children's Homes and others who do this ministry that said that the average cost to board a dog in Wake County is $35 a day and the rate that's being paid now to foster parents for a day is $18. Uh, that's not exactly half, but that's close enough to give us all a pause and discomfort. So we need you to be a witness and to speak up. We also need continued financial support. This congregation is one that has been awesome for Methodist Home through the years and we thank you for that. At the beginning of uh, every year, to cover the true cost of care for those about 1,500 children, youth, and families, we have to raise about that same amount of money for each one of those family units. And without you, peanut butter does not go all the way across the bread. Uh, and there are many in this church uh, whom God has a blessed and you can see that by looking at these beautiful faces and uh, you're wonderfully accomplished and some of you are already writing us a check for 1K for one kid uh, as we call the program that we began to market that funding gap and God bless you and may your tribe increase. There are others part of this church who have that desire in their heart but the capacity is just not there in the bank account. And so it is that you've gone together with special offerings and UMW, UM Men, Youth Group, other places, and we thank you uh, for what you have done and for what you are about to do. And now I want to turn our attention to the reading of God's Word as it's found here in the 22nd chapter of uh, Matthew's Gospel. These are teachings, and you have been in this series uh, of the Kingdom of God, and this is a teaching about what that is. We're going to do a little Theology 101 quickly. Tell me where is the Kingdom of God? Everywhere, and it would be here. Is it within you? Yes, Jesus said so. You have the kingdom of God within. Is it without you? Yes. And so it is here, and and it is within us, it is without us. So when is the kingdom of God? Somebody said always. What are we going to celebrate on Easter? Resurrection, and that occurred when? Yeah, in the past. Uh, and, and, and we believe that uh, the Kingdom of God is accessible to us, if not fully and completely, then we get sign, token, and foretaste here in the present. And I'm sure hoping that there's a Kingdom of God in the future because last time I looked in the mirror, and I really try not to do that very often, uh, I am older than I used to be. And, and, and I'm hoping that there's something on the other side of the River Jordan that gets a whole lot better than this. I'm planning on about six foot five and lots of hair. Just you know, just wanting you know, that's just me, you may have other plans for yourself. And again, my wife may have those plans for me too. This idea of a wedding banquet is a common uh, metaphor in the society or culture of that day and time. The very end of our holy word, the book of Revelation, uh, authored by John on that island of Patmos, uh, chapter 21, says, Behold, I looked up and I saw a new Jerusalem, and it was descending as the bridegroom adorned for the, or the bride, excuse me, adorned for the bridegroom. And so this is a powerful symbol and a powerful image. Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to call those who had invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. I had a child get married about three and a half years ago, daughter Allie. I've got a son who's getting married November 30th. Please feel free to say Congratulations. Uh, the, his fiance, Rebecca, is absolutely awesome and brilliant, comes from a wonderful family. Who knew the boy had it in him? I mean, you know, <laughs> you know we, we, could, we could not be more pleased. But they aren't sending out save the date through the mail. They're doing everything electronically. They uh, are computer nerds who live in Silicon Valley, and that's where they work, and this is their reality. And so we were sort of just dumbfounded when they wanted everybody's email address. But what about their physical... Oh, we're not doing that. You know, we're we're doing this all electronically. But they're doing to save the date, but you're getting an email from them uh, if you've made the cut. And this is not a new process. This has been going on forever. And so we find here that the king, it says that they have been invited to the wedding banquet. And uh, they've been told that this is coming, and he sends his slaves to say the moment's here. And then he sent others to say, tell those who've been invited... They all got to save the date. Ours usually get stuck on the fridge at home. Look, I prepared my dinner. The oxen and fat calves are slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away. One to his farm, another to business, while the rest seized the slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged, sent troops to destroy those murderers and burn the city. Then he said to the slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited are not worthy. Go there therefore into main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. And the slaves went out into the streets and gathered all, I wish that were in capital letters, they gathered all whom they found, both the good and the bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe and said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. The king commanded the attendants, bind him hand and foot. Throw him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Many are called, but few are chosen. And this is the word of God, and we together, are the people of God, so we say, Thanks be to God. I don't want you to get distracted by some of what may seem at initial reading difficult about this particular passage, because the core of it really is that God intends to invite all into the wedding feast, into the banquet. And by the way, we don't have the oxen or fatted calf that the banquet has already been prepared for each and every one of us here this day. Because every aspect of this story, I expect, resonates with us some. First of all, it says that some who have been invited are dismissive of it and take it casually and just don't bother to show. Told you already had my daughter's wedding a few years ago and we were dumbfounded. We tried to keep it small. And uh, there were probably five people, all of whom were cousins. You already heard I'm from West Virginia, so most people are my cousins. Uh, and and they responded that they were going to attend so we went ahead and paid the caterer and uh and had paid for them to come to the reception i am thinking, really you said you were going to come and we've already written the check and where are you and so when jesus is telling this story i can see those folks who already had a wedding going yeah that happened to me too the, the the some who were invited just took it casually and said so sad too bad and just didn't show And then when the king comes into the wedding feast, there's somebody there who's not really good with the program and not participating, doesn't have on the uh, festive attire. He's just sort of there as part of the group. I went to a wedding about uh, three or four weeks ago, and it was uh, on Friday night, uh, and it was the ACC tournament. And one of the wedding guests had not only brought his iPhone, but he brought an extra battery so uh, he didn't run out of power because he wanted to watch the games. And as we're seated there uh, at the reception, and it was a sit-down meal, he's got his iPhone you know, popped up, propped up against his iced tea glass and watching the game. And there are some people there that were you know, doing this, but i got to admit there were others who were crowding around, and he was like the most popular guy other than the bride. Everybody was like, right, tell me what the score is, let me see, can I watch? But he wasn't really participating either. And what Jesus is saying here is that it is God's intent for our... Servants and that would be you and me and everybody here to go out into the world and invite everybody without differentiation the good and the bad Until they can come in and feast and banquet in the kingdom of God and that that is the Lord's desire At Methodist Home for Children as you can imagine uh, I don't do much by way of direct intake uh, if any it happens only uh, intermittently and sporadically one night close to 10 p.m.. I received a text message from somebody uh, who was not in my contact list And it said simply, I would like to talk with you. I'm going to see you tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. at Farmer's Market, and I'll buy you breakfast. My, My initial inclination, of course, was yay, free breakfast at Farmer's Market. I'm good to go with the program. Second was to text back and say, who is this? But I thought, well, if they know me well enough that they're going to say, I'm just going to see you then, I'm going to play this out and just be surprised and go see who this is. So lo and behold, I walk into the farmer's market and there sits a pastor whom I have known for quite a number of years. And he was one of my favorite field ed supervisors when I was a director of field education at Duke Divinity School and his wife. And I sat down and he said, I sure appreciate you coming. I know it's short notice, but we need your help. And then he began to unspool the story. And he said, you probably don't know her, but uh, he said, my daughter who's late thirties, maybe early forties uh, came home from work a couple of weeks ago And she found that her 15-year-old son uh, had two sisters uh, sitting at the kitchen table. She said, I didn't know that my son knew how to cook, but he had prepared about everything there was in the house for them to eat. And and she said, I was shocked that uh, such wee little skinny things could put that much food away. And she said, when I got my son off to the side and asked him who they were, he said he didn't really know them. They had just shown up in school uh, sometime in the last week but he really felt sorry for him because kids were making fun of him because they looked rough and they smelled bad. And I, he said, I asked him where they were from, and they told me they were homeless and had nowhere to go, and he said, I didn't know what to do, Mom, but I knew you would want me to bring them home. And she was not sure what to do, so she did the thing that most of us in a moment of confusion would do. She went to Target. And when they got out of the car, the girls were just absolutely delighted but also quite hesitant to realize that they were going to be able to buy shampoo and conditioner, and maybe their choice of a scruffy in order to bathe with, and just shocked that they were going to get to choose the scent and the fragrance, much less have some of that product, and toothpaste and toothbrush and mouthwash. She bought them each three outfits, and when she talked to the girls, trying to inquire discreetly as she could. About uh, unmentionables, she discovered that they really did own nothing, and so she bought them uh, several sets of that as well. As she's trying to figure out what we're going to do and began to look into the backstory a bit, she determined that the girls really had no relationship with their father. They knew his name, but that was about it and couldn't remember the last time they'd seen him. This was the seventh different school the girls had been in. It was still the first semester. And mom was a career opioid addict uh, who was mostly strung out on heroin bounced hither and yon, and the girls just went wherever they could, couch surfing sometimes, sometimes having to sleep outside. Unsure exactly what to do, she thought for a while and talked to some folks at school about should I call Child Protective Services, and they said, do you really want these girls to go into the system? Isn't there a way that we can find to care for them and keep them out of the system so that they don't have to go through all of that formality and all that process and be dislocated yet again? And thus it was that she decided to pick up the phone and she called her mom and dad who were in their 60s and said, I know you're gonna think I'm crazy, but I've been trying to decide where I want these girls to go and who would be perfect to raise them. And God keeps telling me, it's you, that you all were awesome parents. And I think it's time for you to get the band back together. (laughs) And he said, we love our daughter. He said, we're like most grandparents, even more in love with our grandchild. And he he said, we want to encourage our grandson, and we recognize that as uh, kind as it is for them to be there, probably shouldn't have a 15-year-old boy and a 15-year-old girl uh, sleeping together in the same house, and another arrangement does need to be made. And he said, I know you're probably going to think we're crazy, but we're going to take these girls in. And he said, but I know there's a lot we don't know. And he said, don't you have like classes that foster parents have to go through that help them understand some of the things that children with some challenges facing? I said, yes, and it's called MAP training. And he said, well, sign us up, we're coming to the next one. And he said, don't you have like workers that uh, go into people's homes in, in order to meet And and so they can, uh, you know, hold family meetings and then talk to the child individually. I said, yes, yes, we do. And we've got some master's level clinicians. And he said, well, we need both of those. And he said, and by the way, you understand that if they're not going to be in the system, we can't afford to pay for any of this. (laughs) And so Methodist is going to do this, right? And I said, of course we will. Among the things we needed to do early on was get those girls into medical care. They had not seen a doctor or a dentist. They'd never seen a dentist, ever. And the older two girls had such problems with her bite that when she would speak she would cover her mouth with her hand and I called one of the dentists who's a Methodist and he agreed to see her and her first visit to the office she refused to open her mouth so great was her embarrassment and he thought well maybe it's just because I'm a man and she's having a hard time relating to me so he absented himself and had his uh, hygienist go in and, and try to cajole her and encourage her and she still refused to even open her mouth and she left and did come back for a subsequent visit, was a little more trusting. And when he took a look, he knew immediately some things needed to be done. He picked up the phone and called a friend of his, also a Methodist, who happened to be an oral surgeon. And he said, I know this girl's going to need braces. And he told me on a scale of 1 to 10 medical necessity, her bite was so disfigured that she was over top of a 10 somewhere. And she had to have eight teeth extracted before she could have braces put in. And then the oral surgeon and the dentist got together on the phone and called an orthodontist and said, look what we've done for this child. We think you need to run alongside us as well, and we're going to send her to you. By the way, you aren't getting paid either. (laughs) And so it was that they uh, began to put braces on her. Well, lo and behold, both these girls turned out to be outstanding students. And one of the things you don't know about Methodist Home for Children is one of the coolest things going anywhere. We have a lifetime commitment to put anybody who's been in group home, foster care, or adopted through at least four years of college. And if you can keep a B average, we'll pay for your master's degree as well. And if you want to know how remarkable that is, if you've been raised in the foster care system through age 18, you're five times more likely at age 21 to have been at a jail cell or a homeless shelter than you are to have been in a college classroom. And so it is that we gave an opportunity to this girl, and, and she took it. Uh, her mom and dad, as I'm calling them, of course, were encouraging her to go, trying to you know, put some air in her wings and go. And I know my children, when it came time for them to go to college, couldn't get out of there quickly enough. Uh, you know, the day we drop them off at college, it's like goodbye, and, and they're, you know, pushing us back out the door. But the uh, older of the two said, I don't want to leave. Are you kidding me? I've just now found home. I've never had home before. I'm not going somewhere else. And so she stayed and did two years at uh, community college. Each summer we do a banquet and celebration of our education program, we have people who are midstream come with those who are graduated and hear words of encouragement and then all the new people and we invite people to introduce themselves and it's fascinating to me that we plan a program and the Holy Spirit gets in our midst and decides it's time for church to happen. And usually the introduction, we don't ask people to self-disclose their background, but sometimes they do, and they'll stand up and they'll say, Hi, you know, my name is Jim, and um, uh, at age 15 I had multiple felonies, and I went to the Wayne County Multipurpose Home. And and after that I went to foster care, and here's my foster parents, and aren't they great? And by the way, I'm going to um, Wake Tech in the fall, and thank you all, I really appreciate this. And as we're going around doing the introductions, it comes this uh, young woman's time, And she looks at her mom and dad and kind of looks at me and stands up. And she gives her first name and says, I'm. And then she says, and I don't really know what I am. And she sat down. And I thought, oh, my goodness. That was the word of God being spoken into our midst. She was telling the gospel truth. She really still does not yet know what I am. Well, that girl went off to community college and got straight A's on the strength of that. She was accepted into a four-year college and she is uh, going to finish her junior year. Next Monday night uh, I have been invited and I'm going to represent all of you but I've been invited and she is going to be in in um, inducted into the National uh, School of Psychology Honor Society and since she has been in school she has not gotten less than a 95 on any test and I promise you that was not true for me. Uh, And I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand if it wasn't true for you, because I know the case of that. And when she says she doesn't know who who I am a few years ago, she knows clearly who she is. And the reason she's a psychology major is she don't want anybody else to have to suffer the way she did. She wants to dedicate her life to helping those who might have been in difficult circumstances as she was be able to prosper and to succeed. And her mom and dad will be there and I'll be there. Her birth mother won't be. She died from a heroin overdose when the girl was a senior in college, or I mean a senior in high school, and uh, the two girls are really being raised by the only ones whom they know and whom they love. But this isn't just a word spoken long ago to us when the king commands his servants, says, go out into all of the streets and bring in both the good and the bad and invite them to the banquet which has been prepared. This is a command for you and me, and this is a word that is eternally contemporary, And what Christ the King wants from you and from me is for us to be faithful servants, to go out and invite all who are there to come into God's presence so that they too can feast and be part of the joy and love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And for the privilege of being part of a mission and ministry of our United Methodist Church, I stand here this day and say thank you and amen.